he, oh, he's that guy in that thing, you know? Yeah. You see that thing that that guy was in? He, he was with the that place, guy. the people. With, yeah, with the people. They had eyes. I don't know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jesse. Uh, we are some dad fathers coming at you with some quiet energy. And uh, we are here joined by two special guests. It's really <laughs> hard to be quiet. <laughs> Gotta got whisper, all the monsters are going to get you. Yeah, two special guests. Or you're special. special. They're here to talk quietly with us. What is Lenny? I've been on the show before. <laughs> Hi, guys. And Dom, returning guest, Dom. Yeah. Guys, I would I would sign my name, but I I don't know ASL for one, and it's a podcast for two, so I'm Dom. Hey, guys. Yeah, I've heard ASL does not translate very well over podcast. <laughs> uh, it's, it's you can hear the wind going by. <laughs> Um, I, I'm, ta- I'm talking in a normal voice today because I'm in my Good, specially yeah. special padded bunker, um, here. And the reason why I'm in my special padded bunker talking to you, not in a whisper today where, where other people are, is that today we are doing a quiet place part one Ooh. or just a quiet place. Is this a quiet place part one now? Did they change the name officially? I don't think so, but it yeah. makes sense for us to okay. call it part one because we're also yeah. going to be talking about part two. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so 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 we're doing the first one of two movies so far, um, and this is the beginning of a very spooky Halloween. We actually have a bunch of spooky movies uh, for this October um, that we're very excited about, and uh, this is the first in that series. I wonder what the second one's going to be. Lenny, do you think you, you can guess what the second movie is going to be? Um, is it another part two? Maybe. Maybe it's, it's a part it two. Is it a part two? No, no. The, well, so the first is A Quiet Place Part One. What do you think the second movie is going to be? Mm. Mm. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. <laughs> All right. So A Quiet Place Part One. I think you're being too quiet about it. <laughs> <laughs> too quiet too furious i don't know all right um so uh jesse why are we doing these movies uh you know i don't actually know other than the fact that like the quiet place seems like a big deal right now you know it seems like a big deal and this is like spook. you know what you know what the real reason is like i think at least speaking for myself and partly for mike we don't like horror movies it's really Vito that likes horror movies. And these were some of the few horror movies that were like intro level enough for us to like. So we're doing them. I, I think that that's very true for me. Yeah. Um, it's definitely my mom likes this movie, you know, like this is, this is a very, um, a lot of people like them and there's a lot here to like, I mean, Jim Halpert's in it, you know, we all love Jim. Oh, um, Jim. And, and uh, there's a lot of uh, father themes in it, a lot of family themes, right? Yeah, it's very dad. Yeah. I can say that about it. It's very dad and very popular. So we're like, you know, it's October. Why not? 
Why not? Yeah. And unfortunately, Vito isn't in uh, isn't here with us today because he got captured. He was too noisy. The monsters got him and he's no longer here. So love you, Vito. Uh, loser. See, see on the other side, loser. Right. See you on he's the probably, other side of life. He's probably, he's probably watching a horror movie way too loud in his fancy new speakers or something. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Well, with that, um, with that, Dom, I know. So another part of the reason here is that Dom is a huge fan. You're you're a huge fan of these movies, right, Dom? Yes, I'm a I'm a massive fan. Okay. Well, with with that being the case, do you want to go through some cast and crew for us here? Of course, I will gladly take over the veto cast and crew section. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, uh, Jim Halpert is in this movie. Uh, he also directed. And he co-wrote and he executive produced this movie. Uh, John Krasinski has directed four movies at this point. Uh, the first two are Brief Interviews with Hideous Men and The Hollers. And this is the third. And then A Quiet Place Part Two is the fourth. And he has been in all of those. And he's directed, written, and produced all of them. Um, I've not seen the first two. Have you guys even? And I, like, I know nothing about those two movies also. I, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. I know interviews with hideous men. I know that's like a David Foster Wallace short, short story. It's a uh, collection. Or, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a bunch of different, I'm about halfway through it. Uh, I heard the adaptation is not very good. That, that is also what I've heard, which is why I haven't seen it. Yeah. Oh, sad. Well, yeah. this movie also is, so this is the first big movie that he did. And it's the first movie he did for a major studio, which is probably why none of us have seen those two movies. Uh, but John Krasinski also executive produced Manchester by the Sea with Casey Affleck. And he, apart from The Office, he's also been in 30 Rock as himself. He's been in BoJack Horseman, and he was Jack Ryan himself. And he's also been in Jarhead, Dreamgirls, It's Complicated, Detroit. And he had a, vo a voice cameo in Free Guy, which came out this year, and which is hilarious, by the way. So you guys should see it if you haven't. I have not, but I will check it out. Yeah. Also, he was executive producer of Manchester by the Sea. That kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Although, like, now that I'm hearing or, like, seeing all of his filmography in one place, like, he seems to be a very serious dude and is going very heavily away from comedy and the opposite, anything like that, and more into, like, generational drama uh, between, like, children and their parents. Yeah, yeah it's kind of that and action stuff. Yeah. Oh, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Uh, yeah. I don't like Jack Ryan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, he yeah. He was also in, like, a, wasn't he in, like, um, the Benghazi movie or something? Yeah, I forgot oh, to mention. Yeah. Th 13 Hours. Yeah, that's that's another one. Wasn't that, like, that was, like, his breakout role when people were like, oh, my gosh, Jim, you know, Jim can, like, kill people. Can, can act and kill yeah. people. Yeah. 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 He grew well, the beard. His, oh, his first major movie, though, before that, wasn't it, like, a, it was a George Clooney movie. What is it? Leatherheads? Leatherheads? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, about him playing college football. I remember being kind of disappointed by that one too. Okay. I have I I love John Krasinski in the office, and I think I've been disappointed by him until a quiet place. I mean he's great in Bojack Horseman. Yeah, but but most people are. <laughs> he's hardly <laughs> in it. Yeah. yeah. He's never had a disappointing voice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Actually, the great. his voice is great. The first, the first two things I saw him in being uh, a child for for most of 
the early 2000s, uh, I first heard his voice in Monsters vs. Aliens, and then I heard his voice in Monsters University, which is kind of weird that he was in both of those. He, ha- he has oh, very small is- roles in both of them. And who's I was like, he oh, who's that guy? Uh, he's, he's the guy that, uh, with his girlfriend, discovers the, the alien invasion, and he breaks his leg, and his leg, like, twists around. Oh, yeah, the jock guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a great moment. Yeah. So he also wrote this one? Yes, he he's credited as a co-writer of the screenplay, along with two other writers, Brian Woods and Scott Beck, who are the cre- the writers who are credited as the story writers as well. And I'm pretty okay. sure that just means that they wrote the script a bunch of times before he came on board. You can actually find his their original script, and it's very short, and it's very different but it has the yeah. same a lot of the same essential beats all the characters have different names but it's really cool the way they work different elements into the script that are unique when you're talking about script formatting which can can be pretty boring but they spice it up by making things different sizes and different fonts and stuff like that so it's really engaging script because there's no dialogue whatsoever in the fir- in the original script so they find really unique ways of of spicing it up, which I really like. Uh, I, I, you sent it to us earlier. I read a little bit of it, but yeah, that was it was striking that like it was just kind of direction and, and expressing sort of like we need we need to have them like showing these different emotions, these different mm-hmm. relationships through their through their actions, which definitely I, I think filtered through into the movie, right? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And um, just for just just for reference, uh so that original script is 68 pages. The, the average script is between 90 and 120 pages. And dialogue-heavy movies like Aaron Sorkin movies can be about 300 pages. Well, it makes sense that there was hardly any dialogue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I read the script last night. And there's one part where I can't remember exactly the sequence, but they're using what you're talking about when they're trying to make something dramatic. And there's like five or six pages in a row with just one word per page Yeah, that are in different fonts. So it's not even really 68 pages. Mm-hmm. Like, oh whoa yeah. it's like they're taking the writing style of uh what's his face mark mark, and- mark c daniel lewski my dude yeah mark c daniel lewski it, it, he does it's, he does it's the same thing yeah. in his books oh, okay it's genuinely <laughs> exciting intense at times yeah. and also very bizarre yeah but yeah house of leaves check that one out that one's uh, a great horror novel actually let me have have you never read house of leaves i've heard of it never read it oh my it gosh you i you need to read it I want to know what you think of it. Oh, just as since we're recommending this officially on the pod, there's <laughs> don't be an idiot and read it the way I did, which is the way you should normally read books, which is cover to cover. Uh, <laughs> you, there are two separate stories going on and the fonts change when it happens. So you know when it's happening. Okay. And it's like the, the footnotes. So I was reading it the same way I read Infinite Chess, which is just like, all right, footnote, all right, let's go to the footnote. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't, you have to skip it. You skip the pages, and then you continue on with your story, and then you go back and reread it. Uh, only read it first only suckers read books cover to cover. Uh, <laughs> I go, you you got to go. It, it's also got some adult themes, just heads up, um, but it's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Yeah, um, it's more the, the second story that ends up being about a guy with some sexcapades that he has, but the first one is is the genuine horror part, in my opinion. Aren't aren't there three stories in it? 
You know what? That's okay. That's all right. We're not talking Whoa, about House of we... Leaves. Uh, we're talking about A Quiet Place Part One here. Um, okay, so so written by Brian Woods and Scott Beck, who are just known for this, and they're also known for Part Two, sort of, right? But other than yeah, that, they don't really yeah. have anything. Is is that? It, is that it's right? kind of hard to find information on what they've done. I was on their Wiki, their Wikipedia pages, and some of their movies don't even have pages. Okay. And some of their movies, it's like a, a full screen of information and nothing else. So it's really hard to figure out like, yeah. what these guys are like. I do know that they're currently working on a movie called 65, which is a sci-fi thriller starring Adam Driver and is being produced by Sam Raimi. They're writing and directing that. Ooh, so that Sam Raimi's on board. So that's, that could be pretty promising. It's about, it's about an astronaut who lands on an on a alien planet and realizes that he's not alone. Ooh. That sounds good. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll watch Adam Driver do that. That sounds fun. <laughs> I'm t- always down for Adam Driver. Yeah, you tell I me Adam Driver. Do. I'm in. I don't know if I have the strength to do it. <laughs> 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 well, okay. I, you know what? I, I'm just going to come. I, I like him in Star Wars. I do. I think he's all right. Well, uh, I mean, every, I, everyone agrees that he's the best part of that trilogy. I, don't, I didn't even know everybody agreed on that. I'm happy yeah. everybody says that. That's cool. <laughs> We're going to talk about Star Wars another day. <laughs> so they did the writing and the story, and then and then John Krasinski also produced it? Yes, and it's also, weirdly enough, uh, also produced by Michael Bay. Yeah! Who, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's obviously best known for Transformers 1 through 5. He's the fourth most highest grossing director of all time after Steven Spielberg the Russo brothers and Peter Jackson. And he also, he's worked with John Krasinski a couple of other times. He directed 13 hours that we mentioned earlier, and he's one of the producers on Jack Ryan. So it kind of makes sense that um, he was supporting John Krasinski on this movie by producing. And actually the sound team that worked on this movie is the sound team that worked on all the Transformers movies. Uh, So that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, weird. There's a lot less sound in this one than there was in There's the Transformers sound, movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting. But interesting. It but it's good. it's, it's a lot more meaningful. Yeah. yeah, but it sounds good. Yeah, yeah. But and it was actually it was nominated for an Academy Award in Best uh, in Sound Editing, right? But yes, it did not only. win. Yeah, yeah. That was the only nomination. But only it lost, nomination. Yeah, but it lost to but it, Bohemian Rhapsody for some reason. I didn't see Bohemian Rhapsody. A lot of people were disappointed in it, right? Yeah, I I I like it. I think it's a pretty good movie, but I just I have no idea how this movie didn't win the sound award. I heard it was mm-hmm. the queen of biopics. Glad I got at least a chuckle. I like that one. Okay, so then the last uh, crew member I wanted to bring up is Marco Beltrami, who is the composer. Who oh, you guys yeah. have actually you guys have mentioned several times uh, because he likes to work with James Mangold. So I think you guys brought him up on 310 to Yuma. He also did Logan and Ford v. Ferrari and World War Z. And he did this and part two and Hellboy number one, actually, with Guillermo del Toro. He's one of my favorite composers. I think he's phenomenal. He's fantastic. Yeah. 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 He's pretty good in this one. Oh, yeah. Like the yeah. music in this one is always spot on or it's silent and it's great. Yeah. It really sets the mood. This movie has a really small cast. There are only six of them in the credits. So besides John Krasinski, oh, fun fact. Uh, so John Krasinski plays Lee Abbott, 
but he also plays someone else. Can you guys guess who that is? He has he has a cameo in this movie besides playing Lee Abbott. Oh man, I, there's someone else in this movie. Here, I mean, there's. Don't tell me he was doesn't the old he, man. Uh, doesn't he do the no, body no. capture for the monster? That's it. Yeah. He plays the aliens. He did motion capture. Oh, no way. Whoa. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, so That's he's awesome. Does that mean he's that he's credited in part two as well? Well, he is in part two. Well, right? he is in part two. Yeah. He's in part two. He's not credited as the aliens. That's just oh. something I found while I was reading up on this. Uh, cool. But so he plays Lee Abbott, and we don't know, we don't hear any of their names in this movie. So we only know that his name is Lee from the credits. Evelyn Abbott, the, the wife, is played by John Krasinski's real-life wife, Emily Blunt, who we, we I love. I, I think she's amazing. She's one of my favorite actors. Yeah. I first found her in Edge of Tomorrow. Um, yeah. I love yeah. her. She's so yeah. good. She's so good. Rita Vertasky, a.k.a. the full metal bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, she's also, she's yeah. also in The Devil Wears Prada, Charlie Wilson's War, Looper, into the Woods, Sicario, Mary Poppins Returns, and this year she was in Jungle Cruise. She won the Golden Globe for Gideon's Daughter, and she also won the Screen Actors Guild Award for this movie. She won Best Supporting Actress for A Quiet Place at the, at the SAG. It's kind of weird that it's Best Supporting Actress, but did you guys see Jungle Cruise yet? Any of you guys? No. I Are you going to see it? Um, no. Yeah. I mean, everything I've heard, it sounds like it's a fun time. So probably yeah. if I'm in the mood for something that's light and stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at some point. So I, I turned yeah. it on in the background the other day. And you know what? It was it was a little bit better than it, it was like Pirates of the Caribbean, which is everyone. Mm-hmm. But it was better than four and five. I think it was oh, worse than three. Good. It was like in Ooh. between. Th- well, for, yeah, I don't know if that's a selling point for you, Jesse. But, um, oh, but no. she, she was good. You know, yeah, but it seems it's like it's great. got two charismatic leads, and yeah. like unlike the third Pirates movie, it's not bogged down by all this plot beforehand. So yeah. I don't know, yeah. maybe it could be good. And I mean, yeah, yeah she and the Rock has surprising do have surprising, uh, you know, charisma together. Yeah, I do. All right, all right, all right. so did you watch the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. I right, did. Did they become like romantically linked? Are they romantically linked? You know, you're gonna have to watch it. You're gonna have to watch it. I can't. I can't tell you. I mean, has The Rock ever been romantic in a movie? Seems like he's always just an action star. Well, well, he wasn't an action star in The Tooth Fairy, right? But he, wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but he sort of was. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, he, he definitely always has witty banter with his co-stars, but they're often male. Yeah, and um, mm. obviously, he's not going to be romantic with Vin Diesel. Yeah, why not? I mean, I feel like. I feel like anyone could if they wanted to. Maybe that's why Vin Diesel yeah. hates him. It's because they're family. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, but it would just it would just kill me if Emily Blunt. See, like once John Krasinski is with somebody, it's weird if they're with anybody else. Especially since we see them on screen as a couple. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Millicent Simmons as Regan Abbott. Who before this he she's she had only been in a movie called Wonderstruck, and she is actually deaf in real life, so yeah. she does converse uh, in ASL in real life, and she's currently she's about eighteen years old, and then of course she's also in part two after this. Oh, so she was fifteen in the movie. 
15, yes, 14. yeah, fourteen or fifteen when they filmed. Yeah, okay. Oh, she's, she's a really great. good actress for how. Oh, she's so good. Is. Yeah, I wasn't thinking about this as much, but like, yeah, usually 14, 15 year olds can be really awkward, and she never felt awkward on screen. She felt very natural all the way through. That's really cool. Yeah, and she she also I think I think she for me at least she avoided the stereotypical rebellious teen. She she definitely is rebellious to a certain extent, but she didn't. She never came across as annoying to me. I never thought, oh, come on, man, you're being whatever. Um, I always believed in what she was doing and in why she was doing what she was doing. Um, yeah. She's so good. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, she didn't set the far, like, I feel like in many other movies in this setting, like, the whole cornfield would have been set on fire or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And I then as from- her brother, it's Noah Juppé. Noah Jupe. Yes. Noah Jupe. He's Noah a Jupe. French. He's a Frenchman. He's primarily just been child up until this, right? Like just yes, sort he's of been he's been child. he's been son or or younger or boy version of someone else. Uh, he's okay. a, he's a British actor. He's about fourteen or fifteen right now. He's been he's been in a lot actually. He's so far he's been in episodes of Downton Abbey and Penny Dreadful, and he's okay. been in Suburbicon and Wonder, which is a super sweet movie. He's really good in in Wonder. Uh, and he's uh, Christian Bale's son in Ford v Ferrari. He's young Shia LaBeouf in Honey Boy, and he's also in No Sudden Move from this year, which I haven't seen, but maybe you guys can tell me about that. Oh yeah, small part, but yeah, definitely important. Yeah, nice. He does a good job. And oh, is he the son in the the family that gets? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't spoil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, I think we'll that part's in the trailer, but he, oh, he's that guy in that thing, you know? Yeah. You see that thing that that guy was in? He, he was with the that place, guy. the people. With, yeah, with the people. They had eyes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I was just going to say, um, I think he's great in this movie, and I think he's great. He's He's been great in everything I've seen him in so far. So I'm I'm very curious to see what, what he does next. Yeah, absolutely. And the last, uh, the last of the Abbott family is Cade Woodward, right? Yes, that- Cade Woodward. He he plays the youngest son. Who, spoiler alert, um, hopefully everyone has seen A Quiet Place. Uh, he dies in the opening scene, and wow. then a year wow. after this, big spoiler, big spoiler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then a year after this, he plays another youngest son of a family of five, where he dies in the opening scene. That's uh, Avengers Endgame. He plays a. Uh, Nathaniel Barton, of course, uh, gets oh. snapped away in the opening scene oh. of Avengers Endgame. Yeah. He's yeah. very good at it. Cool. Yeah, he's great. Could you imagine? Cool. He's He's got to be less than 10, and his first two movies are A Quiet Place and Avengers Endgame. That is insane. Is he related to Sean Bean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he must be. He must be. Awesome. Yeah, so then the last, uh, the final cast member who's credited is The Man in the Woods, played by a man named Leon Russell, who is in The Big Lebowski as the Malibu police chief. And I just rewatched The Big Lebowski, and I have no idea who this character is. So, he gets interrogated by the police at one point. It must be that Yeah, guy. I remember yeah. the character, yeah. but he doesn't look anything like him. It's, it's been a while since really The Big Lebowski. He really contorts his face in this one, you know, with the, yeah, it's with the chin and the scrunch up and yeah. then like... And the lips get crushed together. He's got a giant beard. It's like, where did his face go? How did he do that? Yeah, his face just becomes a mouth. His face is amazing. He's kind of like, uh, yeah, he's kind of like one of the one of the monsters because they are just mouth, basically, mouth and ears. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's a metaphor, yeah. guys. <laughs> no, uh, but awesome. no, that has to be intentional. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> he's also in True Grit. He plays the sheriff. I haven't seen True Grit in a while, but you guys have, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's him? Neat. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. He just like he, gives he... Maddie Ross advice and then walks away. Yeah. Oh, he's the one who tells, who gives her like the three bounty hunters. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. No, he's just does like he have, Ben in Does he have a beard parts. in that? I, I don't think he had a beard in it, but I do not remember. A mustache. He had, uh, a, he had a mustache or a type thing going on. Nice. Okay, and, so uh, that's uh, everyone I have for cast and crew. I also just wanted to to do one more uh, Vito-esque note. Uh, this movie is made on a budget of $17 million, and they predicted originally that it was going to make like $20 million on the opening weekend, but it actually made $50 million on the opening weekend, and it ended at seven hundred. Uh, sorry, $350 million, which is over 20 times the budget. Yeah, this, this is when you realize why they made part two. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, what, if you do that, how can you not make part two, right? There's, I, I saw that there was one other uncredited person in this movie um, and nobody else in the whole movie, uh, a lady named Rhoda Pell, who I looked up on, on IMDb, and it's just a list of like a bunch of YouTube shorts. Um, and can you guess who she played? This is, I guess this is a sidebar or, or game. Can you guess who Rhoda Bell Pell plays in does A Quiet she, Place? Does she play the corpse? Oh, she plays the corpse. <laughs> you got it. Hey. <laughs> There's only so many people here. <laughs> so many faces that we see. <laughs> I, I just think it's amazing they actually hired someone to play the corpse. Like, why didn't? Yeah. Um, and you know, she only was like on set for probably an hour or two because she's yeah. only in one shot. <laughs> she was just like walking by. I was like, hey, I know how to play a corpse really well. Can I just like. I, I do my own makeup and everything. Down. <laughs> I've died a few times already. It's awesome. Oh. Yeah, do we even see her face? We or do. Is, okay. We see her face, but then as it's panning down to her lower half, you can see a bunch of blood. In the yeah, it looks like a big gash or something. I, I we, thought there was half of her body. Oh, was it? That's oh, what I, I assumed it okay. was. Which raises a lot of questions about those aliens. Do they only eat the lower half of you? Oh, I didn't. I I wasn't sure if she was cut in half or if she was just sliced open because you start to see some guts and then it cuts away. Yeah, you don't yeah. see ground b- below her her upper yes, torso. You exactly. just don't see below her upper torso. Yeah. So it's a question. I, I it was a question. I just assumed like, oh, she's missing half of herself. I don't know. That's where my mind went. I was like, thank you for not showing that. Thank you for thank you for making us question this, John Krasinski. <laughs> Oh, well, that's a good. that's actually a question I had this time around because yeah. I always just sort of thought in my mind that they that they ate people. But do we do we actually ever see them eating anyone, or do they just sort of slice them up, mess them up, and then leave? I don't think I saw them eat a single person myself. But I also don't see very many dead bodies hanging out. Yeah, there are no corpses around. Yeah. Yeah. There's no skeletons. Yeah, I would think that there'd be more, like you'd see more blood splatter and like corpses around in general if if they were just leaving people. Like that whole town is empty. Yeah, that's probably a question um, we will never know the answer to because these movies are PG thirteen. Since it's a series now, I bet there's going to be a lot of them. 
I bet we're going to get some backstory into why these things are here. It may suck at that point, but I bet we're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're going to build a whole, uh, a whole universe. I bet a whole quiet place, extended universe, right? Uh, the quiet verse. The, the, the QPEU. Yeah, I mean, like, they could go to outer space with it, too. Like, they could be like, we're going to take it back to, like, the homeland. And they, like, go through outer space and they, they have we're to We're taking the noise to them. A quiet world. <laughs> yeah, we're taking the noise to them. I love that. In space, everybody hears you scream. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so just, uh, so is there any more cast and crew here to, to go through or should we jump into nostalgia or first impressions? I don't know if I'm down to go to first impressions if you are. Yeah, let's go. All right. So, um, jumping into nostalgia, let's go. Dom, what is your nostalgia with this movie? Yeah, my nostalgia, uh, started in, I think it must've been my first semester of my freshman year at college uh, when I first saw the trailer and I thought, oh, wow, this looks really cool. This is completely different from anything I've seen before. And I wasn't really a horror guy at that point, but I was starting to, I was starting to watch horror movies. So I saw Get Out that year. I saw It that year in the movie theaters. And I thought, okay, yeah, no, I'll, I'll totally go see that. And then, so my expectations were pretty high. And then when I saw it, it must have been the first week or the second week it, it came out. It was completely, it completely exceeded my expectations and I loved it instantly and it became and still is to this day my favorite movie of that year i i had no problems with it i loved almost everything about it and i still do i i kind of adore this movie (laughs) so that's That's awesome yeah that's awesome uh did we go see this movie together no i don't think so i saw it with a couple of friends of mine from college you you didn't go see it with Vito. no i think I i saw it with Vito. okay that's cool. So is this nostalgia or first impressions with it? Are you like, ah, oh, those good old days when A Quiet Place Part 1 came out? Or is it like, oh, just great, like just a great time? I don't know. This is, I, think this it, is- I think it kind of, no, no, I think it kind of is nostalgia because I, I just graduated college and now I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in, in the big world on my own. And that's one of the movies that I saw freshman year that really stuck with me and that I really cherished. And I just remember telling all my friends about it and just trying to trying to get it to people like you mentioned it being sort of an entry level horror movie i sort of used that to try and get other people to watch it like oh it's it's a it's a it's a family drama it's a thriller you know <laughs> but it's so good and i was i just loved it so much i was enthralled and i was scared and i laughed and i cried oh my gosh yeah i love this movie so much that's awesome yeah that's awesome jesse what about you what's what's your nostalgia with this all right, so I can't say I have nostalgia for it. I saw it <laughs> in June. <laughs> oh, back in June. Oh, back in June. Those halcyon uh, days. Oh, those great summer days. Yeah, so I was uh, taking a trip in Sedona with my parents, and my mom was just like, you know, I want to watch a movie tonight. You know what movie we really like? Your dad and I, we really like A Quiet Place. So let's watch A Quiet Place. It's like, oh, sure. I've heard great things about it. I haven't watched it. Yeah, and it was uh, it was about what I was what I was expecting. I I really enjoyed it. It was uh, yeah. It it occupies that weird space where I enjoyed it with my parents, which is not something I think I could ever do with horror movies. 
Uh, so that was that's strange. It's strange, and I like this movie for that reason that it can like branch the the generational divide, I guess, and still be appealing to everybody because it feels very much like a like a movie that almost is made for our generation uh, with how gritty it is because we love mm-hmm. grit apparently. Yeah, we just everything <laughs> that we love is just seeping in grit. And uh, that's not true. But but when it comes to post-apocalyptic movies, that is true. We've become post-apocalyptic movie snobs because there have been, between The Walking Dead and just countless zombie movies and stuff like that, I feel like we're expecting some... We have to be kind of wowed with with post-apocalyptic movies. And and I was. I was just like, oh, this is really cool. Nobody's like angsty or like pining for the old days and getting really angsty for that you know that's like a standard trope at this point and nobody was like that in this one it felt very different oh yeah and then so instead of seeing this movie that year it came out i saw bird box which oh yeah Wait, did that come out that same year yeah same year yeah really weird yeah, yeah. And, you know, my coworkers were talking about this one and Bird Box. It's like, oh, you know, I'll see Bird Box because it's free. And Bird Box, I thought it stunk. I, <laughs> I did not like Bird Box in the slightest. It's the same basic concept, except you can't see it. Yeah. And uh, so I had held off on watching this one. And such a shame because I wish I had seen this in theaters because, I, yeah, I really like this movie. And that's that's what I've got for first impressions or nostalgia from from years ago, back when my life was basically the same. <laughs> back 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 in the old days. What about you? Back Lightning? in back in good old June. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I don't really have any nostalgia for this movie. Um, I mean, I did see it back in what is it, twenty eighteen? I don't remember the particulars of like where I saw it or who with or um, I just remember loving it. Uh, and then yeah, I think I've seen it. I think this is the third time I've seen it since then because I oh, rewatched okay. this one before I watched the second one in theaters. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's a great movie. Um, I think um, I think when we think about like the pantheon of, of, of great movies, there's there's a lot of movies that it seems like tell stories in a similar way, where there's a lot of variety in that that you know mode of storytelling. But it seems like if a movie can tell a story in a unique way or make a film in a unique way it's almost like a shortcut to being a great movie. Um, like uh, Jesse and I recently watched, um, or for me was rewatching uh, lock lock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is such a great movie. Uh, and that whole movie takes place in a car and the whole movie is just phone calls. Um, and so having, having a unique, I don't know what the word is. Storytelling device just makes it stand out. It makes it, makes it something unique. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's movies that are like that, like uh, buried, which are unique, but not very good. Uh, so it seems like if you can have yeah. a unique way to tell a story and execute it well, that's a shortcut to jump the top of the list of, of uh, memorable movies. So. Oh, and also Barry starring Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. I think. It's, it's him making a bunch of phone calls in a coffin. Cause he's been buried alive yeah. in Afghanistan or something like that. And he's trying to be safe. Oh my gosh. It's really intense. And also very claustrophobic because you're yeah. <laughs> in a coffin the whole time. Yeah, but it's not very good. No, it didn't, it's not very good. Yeah, but it is memorable. I, yeah, I'll never forget that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this movie does have the memorable, memorable part, but also I think it has what what Dom was talking about, where it's got like the multiple genre thing. Yeah, he, he, yeah. you know, you can introduce this movie. 
uh, as like a family drama, which is also what my parents really loved about it. At least my mom. That's what that's what motivated her to like want to watch it with us because that's very heavily in there. In fact, it's mostly about drama. It just has this stuff going on as like salad dressing, basically. Yeah, and also in addition to the the I guess gimmick, if we want to call it that, but the does the the design of the movie with it being about sound it it also is just a very simple movie and it's very elegant and it's very well told Mm -hmm. and there are basically four characters four characters Mm -hmm. and one opponent and it's very and it's only an hour and a half and those are just all things that i like and appreciate and when you can do a simple thing and do it very well i just love that yeah yeah and i the simplicity of all the all the like you know the kind of thriller horror post-apocalyptic family drama components are all very simple, but interwoven like seamlessly together to the point where like, it's hard to really call it out as any one of those things almost. Yeah. Um, I absolutely agree with you guys. Like, yeah, I I think I'd say it's funny because you'd say like, if it doesn't really work, you'd say it's a gimmick, but if it does work, I think that we say it's like, it's a conceit or something or like it's, it's the, it's the mo like the mode of the movie or something. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that's that's kind of funny. Yeah, and just to be clear, when I say gimmick, I don't mean it as a bad yeah. thing. Yeah, it's no, just no, no, the, for sure. It's, yeah, it's it's the thing. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, this is th- this movie's thing. It's that they can't talk. Yeah. I think I saw this I saw this in the theaters, I think with Vito, um, if I'm remembering correctly. But I've as I've said many times, I have the memory of a sieve. I don't remember anything. So, Vito, if I didn't see it with you, I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I saw it. A, a, a sieve, a sieve, like the thing that, like the, <laughs> you're like the, a pasta strainer. No, oh, yeah, pasta strainer. I have the memory of a pasta strainer. I couldn't remember the name of. I, I thought it was an animal. No, it's def- like, what's a it's sieve? Definitely a sieve. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm racking my brain, like going through all the Planet Earth episodes I've ever seen. <laughs> Even Attenborough has to have covered a sieve before. <laughs> they just forgot what it's doing again. <laughs> all right, sorry. Yeah, no, uh, so it was fun. It was really fun. It was a fun movie to watch in theaters. Like, there was definitely a, a lot of tension. I felt it It definitely gained a lot from being in theaters. Like, oh my gosh, when she's walking down the stairs and, and you oh. know what's going to happen. Oh, it's just so horrible. And, and, and everyone's there. It was a pretty full theater, too. I went with a lot of friends. And uh, it was just a blast to, to see it. So, but you know, like I think I might be a little more out on it than you guys are, to be honest at this point. So I'm interested to hear a little bit more about when or if we're gonna show it to our kids. So with that, uh, Jesse, are you gonna show this to your kids? Yes, yes, I'm gonna show this to my kids. Uh, I think it's probably gonna be older. This movie's very intense. There's a traumatic pregnancy involved, or sorry, traumatic birth, children dying. It has a a very dark, gritty feel to it. But I think, like I was saying, this is an entry-level horror movie. So, like, all right, I'm going to make a prediction about future years to come and our kids. I think this movie in particular is probably going to be um, like a gateway horror movie. And Mm. I, I genuinely think, like, kids who have seen this movie are going to be talking amongst each other. Like, Oh yeah, my dad really watched a quiet place. Like, <laughs> I think it'll be like an edgy kind of experience because this is like edgier than most movies you watch, unless you're seeing some hardcore horror movies 
earlier, in which case, um, you're probably going to be well beyond this <laughs> by the time you're like 14, 15. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. I, I've, I've heard some dads say that they just like show their kids like Halloween and stuff. Oh, um, oh nice. When they're like five, which is like, I can't comprehend doing that. But, uh, but I'll, I'll wait till they're older. And I think this would be like a fun, like, oh yeah, dad's showing me something kind of forbidden that I haven't been allowed to watch before, but now I can. And I think it's going to be like a very exciting experience because I don't think prior to this, they will have seen anything close to a post-apocalyptic horror family drama. Are you sure? I mean, I feel like like 28 days later might be, you know, around 10 or something, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think... That's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, yeah, I know that's a joke. I know that's a joke. But I think, I think, twenty eight days later could be like a follow up to this if they're mm. ever interested in wanting to, if they handled this movie well, and wanted to know if there's anything else like a post apocalyptic horror movie, because twenty eight days later is that. Oh yeah, I think, yeah. I think it could help pave the way for movies like that rather than like scarring them and showing them yeah. movies. Maybe this will <laughs> scar them. I don't know. But I, I'd be willing to bet there's like enough real family substance here that it won't. Yeah. Well, and you know, like you need to get some scars, right? Like you, <laughs> if, if you don't get scarred a little bit, like you're going to have a thin skin. You got to get that thick skin from all the scarring. That's how it works, right? And dad yeah, gave sure. the kids thick skin. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, as Calvin's dad would say from Calvin and Hobbes, it builds character. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah, my hey, kids are getting my kids are getting Mad Max Fury Road at age like five. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. That's great. Oh, what, what 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 about you, Dom? Is this gonna be something you show your kids? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and as young as possible. Um, okay. Absolutely, this is gonna be one of those like, okay, you're ready. You're ready for a quiet place. We're watching it tonight. Um, hopefully, that'll be around you know, 12 or 13. I know that my younger brother was that age when he saw it. And I was sort of starting to like more intense movies at that age. Uh, If they're younger and they're ready for it, then absolutely. But I think probably around 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good answer. (laughs) Maybe, um, dude, maybe you could like work it in. Right. Like, you know, if, if you have a kid and then Another one's on the way, and they ask what pregnancy is like and birthing is like. They're like well, do I have the movie for you. <laughs> do I have the movie for you? Oh, that's great. <laughs> this is what it's all like. <laughs> Amazing. Well, what about you, Letney? Are you going to show this to your kids? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I think one of the things that makes this this movie have universal appeal is that uh, it's really not that edgy. Uh, like I think. Like, there's nothing that dark about it. You know, I mean, it's, there's no torture. There's no evil. It's really... Well, there's evil. Sort of. I mean, it's sort of on par with a bear, right? Monster. <laughs> right, but it's yeah. just like it's like an animal attack. Like, there's no... There's nothing sinister about it. It's just that they're very scary bears. Right? It's like alien. Like, yeah. it's animalistic. That might run at you within seconds and kill you if you make a sound. Like, it breeds this, like... Yeah, but I guess, like, what I mean I... is that the things, for me at least, that have been scarring... Uh, the art that I've consumed are things like twisted, evil, psychological, okay, horrible. There's there's nothing there's nothing evil about a bear, right? A bear just wants yeah. to, eat. yeah. And it seems like this is on that level. So mm-hmm. if you can handle a bear attack, 
or a shark attack. You know, this is like on, it, it's just that what I think makes this effective is that it's a very visceral experience. Like you really feel it. And that's what makes it mm-hmm. uh, scary. But there's nothing intrinsic about, in my mind, there's nothing intrinsic about the movie that is that is intrinsically horrifying. It's just that uh, you feel it intensely because of how well the film is made. That's interesting. So there's like there's like two kinds of horror. There's the one that makes you like terrified to leave your house because like creatures could kill you, and there's the kind that makes you terrified of the people in the house with you. Yeah, is that it? Ooh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or terrified um, of or terrified yeah. of yourself and the demons within. Oh, yeah. oh there we go. That's my favorite kind. Uh, that's what I live. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to show this to my kids, guys. Like I, I see what you mean. It's kind of entry level horror, but I also kind of feel like um, these come around every 10 years or five years or something. There's, there's a new sort of movie like this. Um, And uh, I mean, maybe if there, there, there isn't by the time my kids are 12 or 13 or 14, (laughs) like, yeah, we'll, we'll do this one. But I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I've, it's not, there's a lot of plot holes. There's a lot of problems that I have with this movie that that make me kind of like well like this is okay mm-hmm. but but it's i i'm gonna say i feel like it's a little gimmicky as opposed to uh a little focused on i, I don't know that that that's my feeling uh, about it I, I don't i don't have a strong desire to show it to them yeah i i think we'll be talking about the the plot holes later but yeah but sure. do you have I, I just have a question do you have like another movie that you would see as maybe similar to this one, but better that you would want to show the kids or just, I mean, I kind of feel like signs is a, uh, a similar and better movie than this. Um, mm-hmm. Almost. Yeah. The plot, the plot structure is almost signs here. And uh, it's been a long time since I saw that, but it definitely like it, it it's, it's a very similar movie. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. And but like that's not to say like I think this is a horrible movie. It was a fun movie to see in theaters, and uh, um, I'm I'm proud of of John of Jim Halpert for uh, for making it. <laughs> <Do not>. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't I don't mean to like trash it. Like, but I, I kind of like but a lot of people. Trash it. A lot of people love this movie, and that makes me a little bit more like, well, why do you love it so much, you know? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like you're attacking me right now, Mike. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, here we go. Let's go. Yeah. No, I'm not attacking anybody. I'm just I'm just, I'm just, just a little un, unclear. Underwhelmed. Yeah. yeah, a little underwhelmed. And you know what? We're going to yeah. get into that in a minute. Um, mm. But let's talk about our favorite scenes. So I think that we're probably going to get into some spoilers with our with our favorite scenes, and then we're going to really... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're already pretty spoiler deep. I yeah, think. we're we're, yeah. All, we're already pretty spoiler deep here, but we haven't spoiled the spoil of the movie, like the super spoiler. Uh, Letney, do you have a favorite scene? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, for me, probably my favorite scene is is the opening scene, and the reason is okay. Uh, one of the reasons is that I think a lot of movies. So again, spoiler alert. This is the scene where Bo dies. All right, um, we don't we don't need spoiler alert. Okay. <laughs> it, it has been spoiled. They've been warned. Yeah. So it seems like there's a lot of movies out there, a lot of stories that build tension by putting children in danger. But there's a lot of movies that don't go to the extent of hurting children. And the movie crosses that line right at the beginning. And it tells us no one's safe in this movie. 
mm-hmm. because a tiny innocent little boy could just get killed randomly. So I think that really sets the tone and ramps up the danger. And yeah, I think it's it also sets- just a really beautiful, beautiful scene, cinematography and mm-hmm. the sound and yeah, it sets the, the stakes. Yeah, yeah, very exactly. early, mm-hmm. which is great. You, you're never you're never guessing like, oh, what can they do? Yeah. Of course, like yeah. before that you are, but then it's like, oh, okay. Oh, they now, can do anything. Yeah. Yeah, this is what cool. we're up against. Yeah. It's cool that they show the monster, like, you know, like speaking of signs where you don't even see the thing until like the end of the movie or midway through the movie. Here it's just like, yeah, at the very beginning, here it is. And you get kind of a blurry look at it, but you kind of know size and scale and what and capability. And, and you see that, yeah, how tall it is and how yeah. skinny it is. Yeah. It's very long arms. Oh. And it's like very obvious. Okay, this is a monster. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing. No, and it's crazy fast. And it's crazy fast. And it slices yeah. people open almost immediately, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, one of the things I love about that opening scene, too, Letney, is. Uh, even before we see Bo get taken by the monster, we get to uh, we get to see a bunch of these characters. Like they're we're able to see like the interactions and like the family dynamics that they have, which are just really beautiful, really cool to see. Um, and that's that's I think what what everyone that's what I love about this movie in general is is those family dynamics and like the way that they're very kind to one another. Um, the way that, uh, Lee, J- uh, John Krasinski's character is, is a good father to his children. And, um, Avalyn is a good mother. Like it's, it's just, it's very beautiful. Um, I was going to say that this was my favorite scene. And you know what? I'm going to still say it's my favorite scene too. I love, I love it so much. Like all the way, okay. you know, oh Good. my gosh. Like, and, and it does build up that like terror so badly with the, with the, um, with the rocket, you know, and, and she gives it to him and you see him take the stupid batteries. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh. But and you're like, oh, this kid's so stupid. And I, I but... believe the I believe the sound of the rocket. That's the first real sound we hear in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Besides, uh, it, it's a it's a small sound when she catches it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But because but the whole yeah. movie up to that rocket is so quiet, it's so it's just a punch in the face. It's so shockingly loud. Yeah, and then it's a I that's no, I love that moment, and then it's immediately undercut because then we go to Regan's point of view. We see Regan yeah. and you, there's nothing, just complete silence. And you're just seeing her reacting. And then you see her parents and just the look of utter shock and horror on their faces. And then the sound comes up and the music comes up. And then we hear and see the creature for the first time. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Don, what about you? What's your favorite scene? Um, so my favorite scene i think is the the opening scene is great but my favorite scene i'm gonna have to go with it's kind of hard to define because it's 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 sort of a lot of scenes put together but it's the scenes so starting from when uh evelyn starts to go into labor and ending with the fireworks just that whole scene uh or a couple scenes put together just the that's like the to me is the epitome of how to how to build tension and how to raise the stakes and build suspense. It's like everything is happening. Everything is happening at the, like in the worst place at the worst time under the worst circumstances. And it's, it's 
you're you're just it's like every moment it could be over and it just keeps going and going and going just keeps getting worse and worse and worse until finally the fireworks go off and she can scream in peace um i oh it's so good i love it that is a, a wonderfully te- like i when i first saw it, i thought she's gonna die <laughs> yeah <laughs> i genuinely thought she was gonna just die there well, especially since the way that scene is structured, uh, she screams like right before the fireworks go off, right? And then we cut to John Krasinski's Fire. point of view. Yeah. So we don't know until he gets to the, the bathroom that she's still alive. Yeah. And we kind of assume she's dead because she screamed before the noise. At least with the way it was cut. Yeah, yeah I, I think guess the it, way it was cut. Yeah, yeah. She probably, I think she heard, actually heard the noise and then screamed. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's cut for yeah, you know, reasons to make suspense. Yeah, cut to build the tension. Well, ironic. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jesse? What's your favorite? Uh, I've actually, man, should I just do one or should, you know I'm gonna do all three? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I've got so there's a pair of scenes that go together. I think. I think they're really cool. Uh, it's the old man screaming when they stumble him up, across him on the road. And, you know, it's, the old man makes the most epic face ever. It's the most epic, like, build, build up to a scream. His whole face kind of scrunches up. He just becomes this hairy, wrinkly mess. And then, like, explodes in sound uh, that you haven't heard in a long time. And this is juxtaposing it to, like, you know, right beforehand they had just been... Uh, John Krasinski and the son had just been having like this nice conversation for the first time in a long time by a waterfall. Um, so I thought, yeah, so it had been like nice and peaceful. And then you're remembering, oh, this is actually a super dangerous world. Um, and then immediately the old man dies and they're like, <laughs> also, this, this always gets me, man. Uh, John Krasinski like puts his finger up to his face yeah. and like gets his nose on the way. <laughs> and it always gets me a little bit. It's like, but I think it's kind of cool. It's like he's so like focused and scared about what's going to happen that like all he knows is I need to get my finger up to my mouth and communicate. Please do not. Please he's do not. Say so hard. He's shush. He's shushing as hard as you can shush without actually ever shushing. Right. He's shushing so hard. He's so focused on that that he forgot where his nose was. <laughs> I like that. I actually like that as like a dramatic touch to that scene. I think that's kind of cool. I've, I've grown to accept it. Yeah. It is a very memorable frame too. Yeah, like his squished nose. Just like yeah, mm. yeah, so great. Um, and then. Later, he does the same scream when he when he's saving Evelyn or what? What's her name? Evelyn? No, Regan. Regan and Marcus. Yeah, you never hear their names. Yeah, he's saving his daughter, and it's funny because the son and him had just been talking about the daughter, Regan, right? And she is, and he had said, uh, and he asked his dad, like, "Do you still love her?" And he said, "Of course." And then, and then he says, "You need to tell her that." And so, like. Like, coming back from that conversation, the first opportunity he gets, basically, he tells her that he loves her, and then he proceeds to scream the same way the old man did to save her. And he doesn't just say he loves her, he says, I've always loved you. That was really cool. Yeah. It's a it's a powerful death scene. I think. Oh really my gosh, works. yeah. Um, Watching it, I was struck by how well it came off. Um, like, I will, despite the fact that he can't say anything, like, it, it 
it was so strong. Mm-hmm. His his I I love you. I have always loved you. Um, is just so strong there, despite the fact that he can't say anything. It's amazing. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, and I read that uh, originally the the plan was to not have subtitles for anything, and they realized at a certain point that they needed subtitles for when they're talking about the the hearing aid because it's so technical. Uh-huh. And I sort of think that if they didn't have the subtitles, that's a moment where you would have known immediately, like uh, you would have gotten everything of what he's saying. Yeah, yeah, I think Gosh, right that would be crazy. That. Oh yeah. It just actually would have been a silent movie at that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think they did a good call with the subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. They could have dropped them out just for that scene. Even. That would have been cool. So did anyone else finish the uh, reading the script that Dom sent us? I, I never not. even looked at it. So, uh, okay. yeah. so it's interesting that in the original script, um, the, the, the death of a child actually happens before the aliens come. And it's actually an older daughter. And in the script, the father and the older daughter, she's like a teenager and they're not communicating. And it's another case of he needs to say, I love you. Um, But they're finally like the mother tells him, you know, you need to say, I love you to your daughter. Uh, And then there's a scene where they're driving back home and he has a moment where he's about to say, I love you. And he lets it pass. And then their car gets like T-boned by a bus Mm -hmm. and the older daughter dies and the younger daughter, that's when she loses her hearing. So it's interesting that in the script, uh, John Krasinski kind of redeemed that character uh, where it was so dark in the original uh, script. Yeah, because yeah. he, cause in, the, yeah, in the original script, he, his conflict is with the older daughter and that transfers to the younger daughter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, so then by saying, I love you to her, which is also true, he's finally getting to say, I love you to his daughter that he didn't get a chance to. Whereas in yeah. this one, it seems like it's, more simple and it's just the two of them yeah and it dude it goes with the flow of the story a little all right yeah i like this way way better than that see what you just described is more like going back to what mike was saying how you're saying like there's a movie like this every five to ten years and i think i think you're right that there is a kind of movie that's like this but that's more what i'm expecting from those sorts of like five to ten year movies it's going to be like yeah there's going to be like couple conflicts with the son and daughter but this conflict turns out a little weirder than i had thought she's far less angsty like she's she's definitely got angst but she's not like setting things on fire she's not like lashing out in violence or anything like that she's just like frustrated and turns out what she's frustrated about is that she thinks her dad doesn't love her and that's literally it well and she's racked with guilt too right like that's, yeah, the, that's well the yeah but that's why she thinks that he doesn't love her because yeah. like because of the guilt she thinks she's the cause of the death uh, of her little brother and she kind of is so like she's wondering like does my dad even love me and that's a fair reasonable i think all of that is like a very reasonable thing to think and to act on uh even the way she acts on that and like her most rebellious thing that she does in this movie she goes over to the grave of her little brother and sleeps there for a while right Hmm. just lays there like Mm -hmm. that's her rebellion that's as far, and, and she's like kind of snappy with her dad, but like she's not, yeah, she's not this this dumb angsty teenager. She's just she's just guilt ridden, and it really shows. So yeah, I re- I really bought this whole relationship, and I'm so glad 
it wasn't just like, a, oh, I have a conflict with your older daughter is transferred to you. And no, it's very personal. It's very, this was a very dad relationship, right? I, uh, I like you, you try not to transfer your feeling from one kid to another. You try to have individualistic feelings. And I've never seen a movie get that across like this one does. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really true. I mean, especially like and it's cool that they they um, they show that relationship with his son and he's got a very different sort of thing with his son. And like he angers his his daughter when they're when they go off on like the the fishing trip. She wants to go with him. She's brave enough to go. The dad says, no, I need to teach your brother like how to survive out here. Right. And that's like that individualized relationship. But it also shows like her. Yeah her misunderstanding through like her own guilt and in him not understanding what she's mm-hmm. feeling as well. Um, that that's why she's upset. Yeah, no, I think it's really cool that the two kids are actually different characters. It's not just that they do different things it's that they are different. And so, yeah. and their relationship with their parents is going to be different too, of course. So the father and the daughter, he's, he's there, he's trying to pull her back no, you can't do this. You need to stay home. You need to do this. You need to be with your mother. Um, and then with his son, he's trying to lift him up and trying to encourage him and, and saying, yes, you can do this. You can, yeah, and you have to do this. Yeah. I really like that. You can be brave. All right. So I, yeah. I did say I had one more favorite scene. I'm just going to throw it out there real quick because I don't think it's going to be talked about that much anyway. It's the dancing scene. She just comes oh, up to him and yeah. they put the headphones in, just like Letney and I are right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wait, are you listening to Are you listening to Harvest Moon right now? You know it. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, then they. It's just like this nice, sweet, tender moment. Like you do have moments similar to this echoed throughout, but like theirs is the most tender. In the yeah. It was really cool. Like the whole another thing that I really liked about this movie is it's not like everybody's like pining for the old days, you know, and angsty that, you know, they can't go to baseball games or whatever anymore. Uh, there's none of that. None of that in this. Whereas it's always in every other post apocalyptic yeah. <laughs> movie I know of. Instead, what they're trying to do is they're focusing on like trying to not just survive in this weird world, but trying to thrive in it. And this is an example of them finding true happiness in in all this craziness that they have. And I thought that was really cool. This and it kind of, their happiness kind of echoes throughout their whole family what they're trying to give their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I noticed. Yeah. You know, um, Evelyn is teaching uh, Marcus how to do his math, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. I mean, I guess you know they're they're sort of hunter gatherers and they're just surviving, but. So like, why do you need math? But she's like, no, we need, we need to actually teach them how to live and to live well. And I also yeah. noticed that the clothes that they're wearing in a certain way are functional, but, and uh, you know, those sweaters look incredibly comfortable, but also Evelyn is wearing first a purple, a very nice purple dress. Mm-hmm. And then she's wearing a very nice green dress. So she's not wearing, you know, survival clothes. Yeah. She's wearing nice clothes that she wants to be wearing and that, um, yeah, so it's, that's kind of another thing. And I guess also just the fact that she is having another kid anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. It's been over, it's been over uh, like almost 400 years since their son died. Uh, sorry, 400 days. They've been there for a long time. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, 400 days. 
and they're having another kid um, because they're they're trying to keep the family that they have and increase their family and just live well in this horrible world. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about that, that kid, I think um, about having another baby. Like that's pretty crazy, right? What, what do you, um, I mean, that's obviously a big point of the movie is, is like they're choosing to have a baby in the, the apocalypse and that's striking Right. I mean, I don't know. Like that's that's like the biggest source of tension is the fact that they're going to have a baby. What uh, what do you guys think of that? Like, I mean, it's weird when you first think about it or when you first see it, because, yeah. again, that is very unlike most other post-apocalyptic movies, because, again, this would be uh, I think normally pregnancy would be the mark of, of just someone who can't survive, someone who is helpless. Like, think of is there anybody in Walking Dead who ever gets pregnant? Yeah. Well, there's a little baby, right? There's... I, I guess yeah, she's born there's, in the like first season. Oh, like right. Judith or Lori. Judith or... Lori gets pregnant. Yeah. Lo- yeah. yeah. And she is she's helpless and she actually dies because of childbirth. Right. Spoilers for Walking Dead <laughs> after I say it. Um, and then there's like, you know... Also, Maggie and Glenn. Through. Like, come on, guys. Like, oh, I guess... Have you seen that far? Nope. <laughs> haven't even seen that far, but oh. it's okay. I'm yeah. not sure if I'm ever going to. Am I remembering? Yeah, I never right? got to uh, the the main villain. I've never gotten to the main villain. Oh, the baseball bat guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, never got there. I got to right before he shows up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that was That's my rough. biggest problem with that show. Is exactly the opposite of what you're talking about. Where, yeah, it seems like in this movie they've completely accepted their situation and they're dealing with it. Yeah. And that show is one long, depressing. Why are why aren't things the way they used to be? Yeah, Just sad Rick. <laughs> that's <for> years. <laughs> so yeah. sick of sad Rick. <laughs> Just get over it, man. Stop being Move so on. sad, yeah. Rick. There's so much of that. Or I'm also thinking of uh, of Lost, right? Where everybody's just so upset that they're on this stupid island yeah. <laughs> and they're not back to where they used to be. And there's every episode. There's a flashback to how things used to be. Yeah. Uh, and there is a pregnant woman on that one too. And she ends, she's just utterly helpless. And this this woman, she's going around and in a quiet place. She's going around. She's doing chores. Like she she gets caught in her situation, like while she's doing laundry, right? Or no, that's what sets up the situation with that with the nail that she let her later. Yeah, step yeah. On. She she's pulling the laundry upstairs. Yeah, and it pulls the nail up, and then she goes all the way upstairs into the onto the top floor. Yeah. Everything about this is, I think, like we were saying, pointing out with the clothes or whatever, that they're they're trying to to thrive. They're trying to live a, a, a very good life, and to do that, and if you, if you had planned on having kids, I get, I think, part of that, uh, even post apocalypse, is carry on with that plan. You adapt. You you don't stop your life just because something outside your control has happened. You just figure out. How to how to adapt with this situation and and keep thriving? It's kind of interesting how they they move out of their house, which I assume is just because it's so noisy. Um, uh, Lee at one point says, "You can't go down in the basement; it's too loud." Um, but they but they stay on the property. They just move to the barn, and they just make the barn their new house. It's like. You can sort of, you can probably kind of imagine that conversation. It's like, okay, we need to get out of the house. Let's just go to the barn. Let's do it. It's right there, but we'll make it our home. 
Um, yeah. And that's just a beautiful encapsulation of how they are adapting. And they're, they're keeping everything that they can, right? So they still have to do school. Um, they're still, you know, they're not just eating raw fish. Uh, they're actually preparing it and stuff like that. And they're dressing how they want to be dressing. Um, mm-hmm. But they're adapting to, to do what they have to to live. Yeah. Using their ingenuity and their strength. Yeah. It's almost like I feel like they're doing better than they would have been doing otherwise in a certain way. Like they've taken this and I mean, it's a beautiful life they're living, right? Yeah, they're completely like, self-sufficient and they're yeah. almost, they're pretty much uh, completely in tune with one another. Yeah. In sync. Yeah. Super in sync. It's so peaceful. Have you ever done like a silent retreat type thing? Like where, where you're just silent for a couple of days? Long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. I, with with three children in the house, like there's there's something about that that's like, man, maybe I could just convince my kids to be quiet all the time. That would be. <laughs> what you need is monsters. Yeah, convince. We them need some monsters around, around here. Yeah, convince them. Say the monsters are going to eat you if you scream loud again. I mean, I think that I think you guys are making a case for showing this to your kids as soon as they can understand what's going yeah. on because this is just like. You know, we tried the quiet game. It didn't work. You guys are bad. This is what's going to happen to you. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. So we're going to show them like five, three yes. and five. There we go. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's um, cool. That's cool. I, I thought about the house too. I thought like um, with the basement thing, he didn't want her to go down there. I was confused about why he didn't want her to go down there because he goes down there and the wife goes down there. Oh, wait, no, no, I figured it out. Um, it's because he he was working on her hearing aid. It was like a present. She was trying he was trying to figure out a hearing aid that would work for her. Because um, remember, at the end, they all when she does go down there, she just sees that pile of 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 hearing aids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like he had a present in there for her. He had a surprise that he was working on. I think that's what it was. Not yeah, but that wasn't a surprise because he was giving her hearing aids throughout the movie, right? Yeah, that to me I, just seemed like like s- some poor screenwriting where they needed a reason for her to go down there and discover everything at the end. So there's an artificial reason to keep her out, but it didn't seem like there was a real plot reason. Lenny, I think I might agree with you on that. Yeah, I think I agree with you. To, I've never, I've never been sold on why she couldn't go down there. Yeah, like it's a basement and it's the quietest place ever. We've solidified the rules in this movie are if you go underground, you're safer. Yeah, yeah. In sense. fact, there's a headline we see in one of the newspapers that says "Get underground." Get underground yeah. is like the advice to for everyone. But like, why aren't they underground though? Well, why, where, how, where? I mean, I mean that basement ha- is not tiny. I guess that's, that's true. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, why aren't? Why is he telling her not to go into the basement? Why are they like spend? Why are they playing Monopoly like outside? You know, when yeah. they like, why aren't they in the basement playing Monopoly? Yeah, but I think um, in the original screenplay, 
they're living in the house and yeah. there's descriptions of the house where every single surface of the house is covered with layers and layers of soundproofing. Oh, so it seems yeah. like, and in the original script, they have a whole elaborate plan for when she's going to give birth that involves fireworks to cover up noise. They have a separate building that's extremely soundproof for the baby. So it seems like in the original script, they were a lot smarter about how they approached this situation. Well, oh, and in this movie, they're focusing less on the mechanics of how to survive and more on the family dynamics. Yeah. Gotcha. Which is more appealing, but... Yeah. But also, like, if... I, I don't know why the, the barn is quieter, but apparently it is. Um, which makes no sense, because houses have insulation, which in, in addition to keeping in warmth, also insulates sound, so... A barn is just inherently less insulated. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've been to I've been to creaky old houses in the in, in the New York Connecticut area, which is where I'm from. So uh, I can um, I can yeah. very easily imagine that that house is really loud. And also, if you I noticed that there there are like footprints painted on the floors, and I yeah. I took that as like those that's where you can step. You can't step anywhere else because it's so yeah. creaky. Yeah, yeah, I, big, yeah, I think that is that is right. Maybe it's because there's a basement that is super creaky, right? The floorboards are, are creakier and the barn isn't because there's no basement. So I was a little confused about locations in this movie, too. The basement is in the house, right? There are yeah. two basements. There are two there's basements. one basement in the house, and that's where all of like the electronic equipment is. And the washer and dryer. And, and Yeah, and the washer and dryer. And so that's where the nail the is? The nail. Yeah. Okay. And then there's the basement in the barn, which is where they... Do they sleep down there? Do we see them sleep? Um, we see we Re Regan has a bed in the barn, and it's not in the basement, because she okay. throws... That's like her area Yeah. of the yeah. barn, I think. Okay. Yeah, because I guess when they... When they're running back with the baby into the barn, they pull a mattress over a hole, right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they dug a basement under the barn to keep the baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. Well, I mean, I don't know if they dug it or if it was already there, but but yeah, yeah. there's definitely a basement in the barn. I think it's already there. Okay. I don't think you can do a whole lot of like work with tools around here. Yeah. <laughs> um. But it, all right. I get, the barn, I think, is a giant plot hole then because, like, I think the barn would be creaky too. Well, it also just has porous walls, right? Like, it's not. I don't yeah. know. It's not. I don't think it's that important. Um, I mean, the super common, the super common complaint <laughs> you hear is, "Why aren't they living by the waterfall?" You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, yeah. I don't agree with that at all. Like, how, yeah, that's the one like, thing that my my dad latched onto, and he was like. Like, I just don't get it. And I was like, for, to me, to answer that, you just have to bring up all the other things we've been bringing up. It's like, they're not going to move everything because they don't right. have to. They have the barn. And they they just have to work. They have to work harder to adapt what they already have, but they're not going to just leave completely and completely start over because they don't need to. Yeah. Like, I guess they could have some tents set up at the... At the waterfall, and then they would go walk to their farm and farm there, and then walk all the way back at night. But that, like, it seems better 
Well, like if if they live next to the waterfall, they they'd be living as hermits because you can't farm right there. You can't establish new farmland. I think. I think you kind of have to silently yeah, plant in fields that are already established. Right. So, I wonder how they then, they deal with like, like tilling the fields. You know, that would be tough. Man, everything, like, the more I think about it, the more I was like, how do you how do you do that? I guess you could do it with your bare hands. Like, you could just, like, dig quietly to, like, make the, the rows or whatever. And, like, you put yeah. the seeds in mm-hmm. very carefully. You could do it. And yeah. you could also just, like, like put in, put in, like, fishing stuff at the at the river yeah. and like build build things i don't know i think i think that you could do it i think it would make yeah. sense like sure they don't want to leave their their farm i get it but but i think i think you could make it work yeah yeah, yeah. they could have i think I, See, all right it might right, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna be like technical i think it's actually impossible to do what they're doing like i'm not sure if this is actually <laughs> <possible>. <laughs> in the slightest i think but i think it's reasonable enough there's a a reasonable of what 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 is, what's, there's a term for this, right? Reasonable. A suspension yeah. of disbelief. Suspe- there's a, you, a reasonable. Plausible. There's a plausible suspension of disbelief here. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, like everything that happens in this movie, like I know that's impossible, yeah. but I have like I can come up with like at least five little plausible explanations. Like yeah, maybe they're using their hands to till the earth. <laughs> I mean, not likely. Probably can't do that, but it sounds okay, and. For me, that's what makes the movie keep working. Even though I recognize stuff like that happening over and over again, I keep on thinking of, like, my brain is at rest. It's like, okay, there's five or six things that could possibly work right here, and then I continue on. Yeah. So so that's a, that's the big question that I have about this movie. It's like, okay, there, there's plot holes in this, and, like, we could go through and be like, well, like, what about this or what about that? Like, how do, how do the aliens hear when they make so much noise? You know, like how do they how do they run around when they all they do is hear and like they can't they don't have echolocation. Um, but I thought uh, they like, do have echolocation. I thought that's echolo- like the ticking, yeah. kind of clicking sound. Yeah, you can kind of see like their ears, like their ear holes are vibrating. That's what I was the, interpreting that as. If they yeah, if they had that, right. they'd be able like, like bats. Right? Bats are yeah, able to uh, to to sense like everything. Uh, did you get you guys just froze for me? Oh. Fuck. Fuck. Okay. Mike is. Damn it to fuck. Oh, look Mike. at that. Look at that. <laughs> Sleepy Mike. Sleepy Mike. Uh-huh. Uh, I really wanted him to finish the sentence. I wanted to know what he thought. <laughs> yeah. He was too loud, man. Watch the next frame. It's just going to be an alien. <laughs> 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 Uh, 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 all right. Hey, oh, hey, hey, I refreshed. Um, Okay. It's okay. I really, I really wanted to hear what you were saying about the plot holes and such. Um, cause like, Oh, um, I guess, I guess I, I can't remember what, what, how I started this, but basically like the question I have with, with any sort of movie like this is like, okay, there's, there's gonna, there, you're gonna have to suspend disbelief at some point, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, you know, in the Martian, right? Like you got to suspend your disbelief and be like, yes, it is possible for a guy to go to Mars or whatever. Like with this, you got to suspend your disbelief and you got to say like, okay, 
it is possible for these people to live here um, with these aliens for like over a year um, and survive and thrive well. But like, I feel like there's that's a question or something that um, that any work of art, any work of fiction, like like makes of you like, hey, like, will you suspend your disbelief for this movie? Like like these are the ground rules. You have to accept them or um, or not. And if you don't accept them, it's not going to work for you. As like any any work of fiction at all is going to make yeah. that request. Mm-hmm. It's going to make that request for you to enter the world. And some are very easy to enter and some are very difficult to enter. Um, and, and I guess like I, the question that I have about this is, uh, does this deserve our suspension of disbelief? Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it does. I think... I think this movie would have been real... All right, all right. So, um, I don't think it goes as far as it could have in explaining away, like, how their lives actually work in, in the potholes that I think are fairly rampant throughout just about with anything like how did they get the sand there where does the sand come from how much do they i have really available? are they using shovels <laughs> those are loud um, well it's by the river so it's okay probably that riverbed isn't sandy it's muddy yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not sure like where that's coming from i'm not sure uh like i'm not sure how like how do they get like corn to the silo that has got to be pretty loud, right? I'm not like I think you need a lot of equipment for a farm this big, and all of that. It's super loud. Like, I, I don't think that that corn was just there before. It's yeah. been 400 days. I I don't think it lasts that long. Well, really? so I keep going back to the script, but in the script, it's a silo full of rotting corn. Yeah, so it's from the mm. last harvest. Oh, okay. so she's drowning in rotting corn. Oh, it's which is super gross. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, okay, so maybe that's rotting dried corn or whatever. And this stuff, uh, so they have fresh cornfields. What are they doing with that corn? Where are they getting, where are they actually, what are they doing with all the food to survive then? Like, I actually don't have answers to a lot of questions of this movie, but I've got some, you know, you can come up with some plausible half-assed, not half-assed or better answers for all of it while you're watching. And I think that's all you need for any story, well, especially for a movie that's only an hour and a half long, uh, for it to function, for it to work. Like, you just need to come up with, like, a, okay, that's for your brain to quickly say, all right, that's fine, moving on, right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's enough, like, visual cues and stuff to how they're operating for you to, like, inference how they're living. Um you know, I think you can easily say, oh, they came up with a way to tilt the field. I don't know what it is, but yeah, whatever yeah. it sounds, because they're, uh, they have enough ingenuity to, to do that. They seem like the type of people who could. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I agree with you. And also the thing that I, f- I, you know, answer would answer that question with m- most often is just, is to say that, um, I think the reason that this family has made it so far is because they know how to sign, right? Yeah. They, they don't have to use words at all. They can, I imagine that they just stop talking on, you know, day, day two or whatever. Um, yeah. Once they actually figured, figured it out. Um, so it's very plausible to me that this family was able to figure out how to do almost anything. 
And because they were signing already, they, and like we said earlier, they're very much in sync with one another. Yeah. They already are, are attached in that way. And they're already able to pay closer attention to things and notice things and hear things and look at things. Um, and that's just something that they had anyway. And that's kind of their superpower that they yeah. used to, that they've used to survive this far. And just be based on that primarily is the reason why I am able to sp- to suspend my disbelief. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's Dom, Dom, one second. Can you move a bit back from the mic? I'm getting a lot of punches yes, with, uh, with your plosives. Is that good? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, think, I think it's a little better. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. Sorry to no, you're good. say that right off your point. Um, that's cool. That's cool. I think, I mean, I guess that makes sense. But I guess the question, a, a further question I have is like, like, okay, yeah, you can come up with explanations for most of the things here, maybe even everything. But like, does it deserve for me to do the work for it? I guess that's maybe that's further the, the question here. Like, like, you can come up with an explanation for why most of this stuff where you like, oh, I can see like how this is reasonable in this way. But there's also a matter of deserve that goes on with it. It's like, that's a, that's a whole lot of mental exercise that I got to do here to to figure out how, how they can farm. Like, they should be figuring out how to farm, not me. Isn't that isn't that the point of the story? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, but you don't have to solve it. Like I said, uh, at least for me, when I watch a movie yeah. like this, I'm satisfied with half-assed answers. Like, Okay. I think like, oh, I think I could probably get like halfway there. Maybe the hands, maybe the hands, you know, and you can think that yeah. and you're like, wait, will that really work? Uh, yeah, I totally thought of something <laughs> like that. Right. That's, something. A, that's enough for me. But like, so honestly, I think, well, I think like I was saying, I, I don't, I don't want this movie to draw out for another hour just explaining how they <laughs> I think that would have been really boring. I, would. I really want Quiet Place Part 3 to just be about the farming. That's it. Like like three hours of farming. Terrence Malick's going to make it. It's uh, going to be Days of Quiet is what it's going to be called. Uh, no. Um, the Tree of Quiet. The Tree of Quiet. Yeah, there we go. The Quiet Tree. No, I I, I guess I, I feel like, okay. So that, That's a good point. Yeah, go ahead. So when I first saw this movie, um, I thought it was perfect. And I've seen it twice in the last couple months because I, I saw it for this podcast, but also right, right. I rewatched it before I saw the, the second one. And I think my opinions changed a lot. I think this is like a few clicks of the dial away from being a really bad movie. <laughs> like I think the okay. I think I think there's a lot of plot holes that really don't yeah. make sense. And I think that have you guys seen the happening with um, yeah, no? Uh, what's his name? Marky Mark. Anyways, it, it's, it's, Mark. it's it's a universally reviled movie. It's amazing. Um, it's yeah. the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and what? like, I keep no. <laughs> I keep picturing Mark Wahlberg in the Quiet Place and how bad he would be in this. Oh, no. And like, it seems like it seems like the emotions are really good in this movie, but they could easily be melodramatic and over the top and ridiculous. Yeah, like yeah. even the climax of the movie where he's signing "I love you" to his daughter mm-hmm. with a with a slightly less good actor that could be real cheesy. Yeah, and like the movie, a centerpiece of the movie is like the checkoff of all checkoffs. The nail is like it's so it's so um, telegraphed. It's so in your face. Yeah, yeah. And then like you know, watching we, it for for this this podcast, um, it, it's sort of clever the way they do exposition with the, the new spare headlines. But then they also sort of hit you over the head with it 
and it's it's way too repetitive. And there's things like he has a whiteboard that says what is what is our weakness? Like, come on, no one would write that. It's like, no. what do we need to do? Survive. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, survive yeah. on the whiteboard in case we forget yeah. it's there. <laughs> so I think like this movie could easily be really bad, and I think the only yeah, reason yeah. it's not is that. One, the emotions seem really, uh, really true and honest. Yeah. And you really feel them. And two, it's such a visceral experience. Um, like, I was listening to some podcasts about this, and I don't think I saw it in theaters, but people were talking about the theater experience and how, like, people eating popcorn would, like, couldn't even eat the popcorn because <laughs> you're on the edge of your seat, like, the tiniest sound. And it seems like that's what makes the movie deserving of in my mind, deserving of our suspension of disbelief is that it's this really powerful, honest experience um, that mm. if you can, if you can, if you can tap into that, it, it, it's that in and of itself is worth it. I think. Yeah. There's a visceral experience, but the I, part of the visceral experience is that you really care. Like I yeah, care, yeah. I care a lot about this family and I want them to all succeed. Yeah. Right. Um, and because, I think I think you're right. This could very very easily be a really cheesy, um, really melodramatic, really angsty movie. But I, 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 it's my opinion that the movie neatly sidesteps almost all of that when it could. I mean, okay, I guess their conversation at the waterfall to me that's still a little cliche and little cheesy. But I still think that functions. It still ends up working. Um, because the if, yeah, it's real. It's a real conversation. It's still like a real conversation. Yeah, just because just because like angst is cliche or whatever, because something's cliche doesn't mean it's not real. It's just they avoid the the cliche like over the topness of the emotions. I think that yeah, right? I think that's what you're driving towards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think the fact that John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are married really helps with the authenticity of the emotion of this movie. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the authenticity of the family, like, yeah. like that's what this movie is about the family so much more than it is about, like, I don't know, the, the tech, the technicalities of how they're surviving. It's, it's about watching a real family survive or like yeah. exist. It's, it's like, this is how they would be if there weren't monsters, I feel like, right? Like this yeah. is just how, how you act. Yeah. yeah. Actually, this family is so strong that. Mike, Mike, going back to your original question, like, why should we suspend our disbelief for this movie? I think the reason why is just for the family. You know, the, the plot is fine. The plot, yeah. you know, whatever. It's this family and wanting them to survive that I am willing to say, I don't care about the plot. Holes. Hmm. I, I just, I love these characters and the story so much that I want to believe that what they're going through is real. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. I'm okay with that. So I, I'm, I was kind of being devil's advocate a little bit. I, I feel like kind of, I feel mostly the same way. There's like, there's one request that it asked of me that I just have so much trouble with, which is like the birth. Because that man, like the birth of the kid, like that, I mean, it, it does the same thing that all movies do, which is her water breaks and then like she starts having the baby immediately. That's not how it works. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then like she has a baby within like a couple of seconds, dude. Like, and and her scream is drowned out by fireworks. I, I don't know. Like, like the the things right there. Like, like yeah. it's it's asking me to to suspend like major disbelief about I think three separate things all at once. 
and that's a lot. It's hard. It's really hard. I really want to. Yeah. But it's I, really hard. Oh, I agree with that one. Yeah, I don't... I don't buy that at all. That That's definitely... Yeah, I think that's my number one. Like, no, that could never happen. Like, I don't know. I... Uh, like, I remember, like, I think when the second kid was born and, like, we were in the recovery ward, you know, uh, my son was already born or whatever, and you could hear the labors going on above us. <laughs> I could just hear oh, wow. screaming. And it's like, ah. Uh... Yeah, and it goes on for a really long time. It's not one scream. It just keeps happening over and over. Yeah. Uh, no. No way. <laughs> no way is this happening in this movie. And I know it's... Well, I think I think one, one loophole that I like to come up with is that, you know, the monster's already out of the room because of the firework, and it's far away, and it's being drawn out, and at that point, like, pursuing John Krasinski and, and his kids. So it's distracted. That's true. That's true. Yeah, they they give it they give it a good tr- a good attempt at least. And whether or not I I'm suspending my disbelief for it is like that's my problem, not yeah. not theirs at this point. I guess I definitely have disbelief, but I I will I have to purposely suspend it for that scene. Yeah, yeah. I I personally did not have to because I, I am not I have not undergone this uh, personally, <laughs> uh, and I have no idea how it works. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> But also, I, I also noticed that yeah. I, I also noticed that um, oh, of course, um, the one of the creatures comes back almost immediately. So I like to think that maybe maybe it could have run out of the room, found out the fire, found out where the fireworks were, and then heard her screaming again, and then come right back immediately because when he carries her out and yeah. into the yeah. the barn, it's right there again. Yeah. Yeah. And the fireworks yeah, seemed the fireworks seemed like they were pretty far away, so it runs it runs away and then it comes back. So it it's an unspecified amount of time. Um, so I don't know. And movie time always kind of is messy anyway. So yeah, I, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I guess we don't have a clear idea of how long the fireworks show was, right? Yeah, we don't. Have a, we also I mean, it couldn't have been too long, but we also don't have a clear idea of how long she's in labor because. She goes into labor and while well, they're walking in the middle of the road and it's still daylight, by the time they get back, it's pitch black, so it's at least been a couple hours. They make it seem like it's 30 minutes. Yeah. Or whatever. So, I don't know, maybe it actually has been hours. So, again, there's half-assed answers I can give myself to that scene. <laughs> still not good enough for me, but... I can still do that. <laughs> All right. So so that's our, our little bit of a bridge too far for most of us, but like we'll, we're okay with it. We're accepting it. It's still a beautiful family. It's still yeah. a, like like an incredible family drama. Mm-hmm. Um uh so I I've got one one other thing that I, I want to like I want to know what you guys think about this. So like the end of the movie, the very end of the movie. Um like okay, like John Krasinski's dead. And that was beautiful, right? Like the way he sacrifices himself for his kids is is awesome. But then, uh, when um, when the the daughter figures out uh, how like how they can defeat these aliens, like how what how, did that work for you guys? Like was that did that make sense? Did it did it get there? Did you like it? 
I think it made sense in the moment at the end, but now that yeah. I'm, but but then when that happens, you're you're thinking back to earlier in the movie when there were the scenes with her and the monster when she was like doing this, you know, holding yeah. her hand up to it, and I sort of watching it this time around, I was like, wait, like why is she, why is she putting her hand on her thing? So so it makes sense at the very end. Oh yeah, because she, she knows how it yeah. kind of how it works at that point, but it seemed like too convenient that it she just happens to put her hand up there and it happens to work and then she notices that yeah so, i thought her putting that? her hand up to her head was there was feedback from the monster and that was causing her pain it was like right? yeah it was like brain pain oh okay like right. the, yeah. like her her device was picking up some kind of signal like some kind of a uh, feedback loop yeah feedback from from the monster oh okay that makes more sense it was like the the different frequencies were slamming into each other and, nice. and causing major um, pain. Yeah, major pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. uh, uh, yeah. I mean, all right. What? What? Mike, it sounds like you have a beef. No, I don't. I actually, I I love the end. The end is awesome. Oh, it's nice. so great. Okay. I, I thought it was amazing. Um, I'm sorry. I, I I just wanted to to ask, like, if you guys also loved it. Like, she figures because because she's like listening to she. This is, is the third time it's happened, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the third time. And uh, and then she realizes, like, like she's looking at it. She's like, it's freaking out. It's not attacking us, and I'm getting like this crazy buzz. She's like, wait, this has happened a couple times before, and then she slams it in and. And uh, there's the shotgun, boom! And of course, you know, you know, like like any good movie, it can't, it doesn't actually die until you blow its head off. Um, yeah, it's just so great. It's like such a release of tension. I loved it. It's yeah. this beautiful catharsis, especially yeah. to just see Evelyn's like little smirk on her face when she's like pumping the <laughs> shotgun again. It's like yeah. hell yeah. yeah! And then it ends, and I remember watching and be like, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> all the old monsters oh i bet in part two it's gonna show how they all died <laughs> no yeah i was listening to an episode of the uh the big picture podcast uh, and they were interviewing john krasinski about the movie and he was saying that originally um they didn't show uh evelyn killing the monster that it just cut to black earlier um oh. and then someone on his team said the audience needs the catharsis of seeing the monster die. We do need that. So we put it in for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it seems like you could just have the moment of discovery and then, Oh, they know what to do. And then cut to black then. But yeah. It's so much more satisfying. Than I, that shotgun and... Well, I, yeah, you need that moment because like he died. Right. And he was like the guy everybody was leaning on, but then it becomes very clear once it's Evelyn and Regan uh, right there, that they can, they can actually all save themselves. Like you need to actually see that happen, though. Mm-hmm. They've taken what what he can do and pushed it even further to do what he couldn't. Um, yeah, you need that. You need to you need to show that there's a hope for them, because if they can't push the envelope further than he could, then like, then there's no chance they can survive, right? Mm-hmm. Because like they can't just keep on living the life that they were living now that he's dead. It's, they were so perfectly in sync, it's like a cog, the wheel's missing. So, like, you need to show that they're still able to function otherwise. Yeah, yeah. and I also, just another thing about the ending, I love the exact moment that it ends. 
um, where, where the movie ends on, um, the pumping and the shotgun, because like we were saying, it could have ended too soon before you see that. And it could have dragged it out for another 10 minutes, right? She could have, mm-hmm. there could have been a big long action scene yeah, where they took out all of them. Very Tarantino-esque. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. And then there could have been another, you know, five minutes or so where they're, where the movie is like cooling down because that's kind of how most movies are they they introduce the characters in act one and then in act two things get worse and it's a slow build up to act three and everything explodes and then you spend you know five or ten minutes to cool down but this movie just it reaches the highest point and then it cuts it off there and i really i like that i think it's really refreshing another movie that does that insanely well is whiplash it it just ends on a high note and there's there's no need there's there's no need to have a, a dialogue scene after that that's all you Ooh. need. I'm not sure if that's a high note. <laughs> Can't wait to have you on for that one. Ooh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be a good one. I just mean in, cool. in terms of the like the structure of the movie and the intent. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Um, oh no, it's a happy ending, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is really cool that the restraint that's shown with this to not just make it like it's only it's only an hour and a half. They could have yeah. added a whole other ten mm-hmm. minutes sequence and it wouldn't have been too long right yeah. i mean like in terms of like share movie length but it would have been too much so i i appreciate the restraint here yeah, yeah. i think it would have felt too long because i i i can't think of any anything else that there should have that they should have add, sh- added or shown that they didn't so then it would i mean have the farming still, still, the farming could have taken it out the farming, <laughs> of course, yeah. the but sand. other than that how, how they I really want to know about the sand. Like I'm, I'm honest. Like I'm on tenterhooks for part three, where they show us, show us the sand, the sand pit. <laughs> we found Dad's sand pit. <laughs> why did he? Why did he keep this hidden for so many years? Uh, he hoarded the sand. <laughs> I don't uh, you know. Yeah, we always called Dad the old sand hoarder. <laughs> Mom always said it'd be stupid. And then the apocalypse happened, he said, look at it now, kids. Lee was a great guy, but he had this weird thing with sand. I don't understand. He would just drive out to the beach on weekends, just fill up his truck with sand and drive it home. He did it like four times a day. Doesn't make any sense. He but now said, it does. You'll thank me later. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, uh, all right. So, the, so the the final question I really have for you guys is: Why the hell are they playing Monopoly? Like, why are they playing Monopoly? And they they know five people, right, right, and then four, and and they decide that Monopoly is the board game that they're gonna take from the store and bring home and play. You know, they like they like knit little pieces so that they can play it. They are obsessed with Monopoly. These people are addicts. Monopoly addicts. Why are they playing Monopoly in the apocalypse? Like this is the way. Like there have been people who have killed their family members over an- over Monopoly. Like what? This is a game that that supports capitalist principles, but these guys are like nothing about them playing. And apparently, in the first script, it has Monopoly. So they just like no one it went through multiple rewrites, and no one was like, guys, like this should be something else. They should play like Uno or no, that's not a good idea. Like hearts, like let, let's have them play hearts. Like I don't know, a, like a card game. I think cards are tough because shuffling. Yeah, shuffling. Shuffling. Okay, but I mean, like, there's a bunch of games that you could play. That I guess you could shuffle okay. by just putting the cards on the on the table and just moving them around. Yeah. Okay. You could <laughs> just do quiet that. Shuffle. You could do that. Uh. Yeah, I guess any any sort of card game is doable. 
you know, maybe they do play card games. Maybe we just saw them one day they were playing Monopoly. They're like, we haven't played this in a while. Am I the only person that actually likes Monopoly? I actually, I love Monopoly. Oh, that's I, good. Okay. I used to love Monopoly. I've gotten into a lot of fights with my brothers about that one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I love it because I'm really good at winning it. And yes. I don't like playing it with people I'm because they don't like me winning. <laughs> I also don't like losing <laughs> when oh. I do lose. <laughs> like, this is what yeah. I mean. Like, I know this tension personally. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Like, what, what other games do the, should the kids take? They can't take, I don't know, can't take Mousetrap. That's off the list. <laughs> you can't take trouble, you know, the one with the, the bubble thing. No boggle. No boggle, yeah. Oh, no boggle, yeah. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot you could do here. I, I guess you could have Ritz. tan? With a, you could take a tan, yeah. Again, you would have the little fluffy pieces. I, yeah, you could I do think the appeal pieces. with Monopoly is more just that there are there aren't that many pieces. It's like, it's mostly board, mm-hmm. and then it's just like you have your piece, right? There's no putting stuff together constantly, and there's no... Like, Risk has a lot of little pieces. That's true. So oh, that would be kind of hard to substitute. Be heard. <laughs> but there, there's actually... There's a good deal of pieces in Monopoly, though. Like, you've got cards in Monopoly. You've got, like, the chance and the, the, the yeah. community chess cards. you got to shuffle those a little bit. you got you got all those paper... All that paper money, like... Money gets over all over the place. I feel like the money is is frustrating. At they least were pretty quiet them. with it, though. They were quiet with it, so it worked. <laughs> She's real money. She's real money. Yeah. yeah. Oh, gee, they, <laughs> I wonder if they were ever like, Dad, can you go to the bank and get us real money for Monopoly? <laughs> well, didn't they do that in uh, Zombieland? Yeah. When they were playing in like um, Bill Murray's house and they're playing with real cash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I already watched that one, but also okay. I, I do like the Monopoly scene too because it's just like the dancing scene or the the teaching math yeah. scene. It's like them, you know, actually kind of enjoying life, like finding some ways to to thrive there. Um, and then also I think this my favorite like facial expression in this movie is after they knock over the lamp and John Krasinski runs over there. And he just has this look like, I can't f-ing believe we're going to die because of fucking Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> He's like so angry about it. Yeah. And he can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, man, I feel you. That is exactly how I feel right now. That That is how I would feel too. Uh, it's amazing. Gosh, he is, he is such a dad. Like, that's such a dad face too. And like such yeah. a dad experience. It's like, I cannot... Like I can't say these words out loud, but <laughs> but I'm feeling I'm feeling some some language. <laughs> I saw it written all over his face. It's so great. It's so funny. Oh, that wasn't a real ser- serious question, but I'm glad that you guys took the time to. I'm glad we answered it. It's very serious. Thank you. Way. Yeah. Thank you. Of Thank you for answering it seriously. Do you guys have anything else? Anything else you want to talk about? I I did just want to point out a quick little tidbit that the filmmakers accurately predicted that 2020 is going to be the worst year of all time. Cause this movie came out in 2018 and they were like, Oh, we'll just set it in 2020 and 21. That'll be fine. Wait. Okay. I have a question about when this takes place, but Oh, but the question comes from the next movie. So I'll, I guess I'll ask it then. 
Um, because one of the storefronts makes me think that maybe it's not. But never mind, because it's not in this movie. But yeah. Okay. It's the end of that statement. Well, um, if Jesse, Letney, do you guys have, have anything else you want to want to add or ask about mike uh has this risen all right so it doesn't seem like you it seems like you enjoy the movie as like as like a middle of the road movie but not as that great has this changed your opinion at all or has it stayed basically the same i don't know um i feel like i uh, the jury's still out um it's amazing to me how many people love this movie uh, like everyone from my mom to, to Dom to like, like it's, it's crazy to me that my mom loves this movie. Um, because she's not, she's not into gore and horror. Although lately, like she's been telling me about some of the shows she's watching. It's very surprising. I think it's, there's a lot about it. That's really beautiful and really wonderful. Like watching them. And you know, what? I, let's jump into the, the last question and let's, let's let it breathe a little bit. You know, is this a dad movie? I want to talk about if it is like why why it is or, or why it isn't like what about it makes it a dad movie and I think I think you guys Jesse I feel like you might say yes it is yes yes it's a dad movie I mean like, why is it a dad movie oh for lots of reasons one this is very much about like being a dad in the apocalypse right and mm-hmm. not just being a dad being a very good dad like we've got yeah. you know Rick who is. He's not that great of a dad. <laughs> Let's be honest. Rick from Walking oh, Dead. Oh, he's a he's not a. He bad shows dad. Carl a lot. He shows Carl. <laughs> yeah, he's trying. He's trying he's try- real hard. Yeah, but he's not like thriving and succeeding like John Krasinski is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like this is the best dad I've seen, not just in a post-apocalyptic movie, but maybe in like a lot of movies in a long time. Yeah. Um. So I'll say that this is great dad portrayal. Um, this is, and it's like this portrayal of a dad is something that I do want to show my kids. Um, and I do think this will function as a very good, uh, entry level horror movie. Um, I think, I think you go a lot worse than this. And I, I'm not sure if you could do a lot better with entry level horror. Like Mike, you mentioned signs and I think that that's another good one. Uh, but I don't think. There's a whole lot of movies in that space that exist, um, at least that, that are good. And I think this is genuinely good. It has like strong, like moral character I can show my kids and be proud of. It has that, that intensity you can expect from a real thriller movie um, that I don't find in some other thriller movies. So like I'm, I'm happy that this experience um, with these sort of morals and, and this world kind of exists. It's a weird blend and I haven't really seen a whole lot of it before. So yeah, I'm happy it exists. I, I enjoyed this on my own and I want to show it to my kids and I'm looking forward to that. So because of all that, I call it a dad movie. Okay. Nice. Okay, cool. Well, uh, Letney, what about you? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with probably everything Jesse said. I think this is a, yeah, I think this is a dad movie in the same way that to kill a mockingbird is a dad movie but sort of in a different way that please explain mm. <laughs> in, in the same way, but not the same way yeah. at all. <laughs> so I think in both cases, it's, it's an example on screen of exemplary dad. But whereas I think in a kill a mockingbird, it's focusing on the aspect of fatherhood of teaching and giving life lessons and building character. And this is focusing on the aspect of dad that is 
protecting and caring and supporting. So it seems like they're, they're sort of reflecting two different aspects of, of fatherhood. Mm. Uh, but in both cases, it's, it's uh, an example to hold up. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. 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 I think I agree Makes with sense. that. And what, what, what about you, Dom? Uh, you could probably guess, but yes, absolutely. This is a dad movie. It, uh, it basically fulfills all the, all of my requirements and like any any requirement that I can think of for it being a dad movie. Uh, it's a movie that I've watched and enjoyed with my own dad, uh, and it's like I said, a movie that I'm very excited to show to my kids. It's also a movie that I will watch anytime by myself or with anyone. Um, and yeah, it's a it's an entry level horror movie that's done very well and it's a visceral uh, experience. Um, it's also for me, like I said, a sort of a slice of it's, it's something that I can remember very clearly and say, oh, this is what I was watching in my first year of college. Um, and also like we were saying, it's about fatherhood and it's about this family and there's, it's about a dad who does, I I think the most dad thing possible is that he, he sacrifices himself for his kids. Um, which is just beautiful and perfect. And yes, it's a dad movie. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I, I, oh, negative. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here, guys. I'm really struggling. Like, okay, I love. I, I, I agree with you guys completely. Like, oh my gosh, uh, John Krasinski portrays an incredible father. It's something yeah. like, like I want to be this kind of a dad. You know, like I want to be this kind of a man. It's not just a dad. He's a man. Mm-hmm. You know, and like part of that is the fact that he is a good father. That's what it means to be a man. It's to be good at, at what you do and to, to be patient and to take the time to, to do it well um, in, in everything. And, and he does. And it's incredible. This this like the building of the life that like you get this sense. Um, and this is one of the things that I think I, that I really love about the movie is the, the sense of a full life that it gives with just an hour and a half picture of like the most stressful period in their lives. You get this real sense of, of a long, caring, in uh, in really intentional life that they've built. So because of that, I'm like, yeah, like this is this is a dad movie, and, and I want to show it to my kids because of that portrayal. And I mean, I wonder, like Jesse, when you were talking about how uh, you know it's it's like it's like signs, but it, you haven't really seen such just like a solid portrayal of a family, like a good family, a good father, a good mother, good kids. Um, in the movies, especially like, like in a horror movie, um, it's true. It's true. You know, it's got good family values, right? Um, yeah. But but it doesn't do it in a way that's like super cheesy. It's not cheesy. It's it's good. It's done well. Even signs, while it's got you know a good message and and everything, and an incredible sort of like uh, providential twist at the end, the same way that this does. The family's like a little messed up. Like things aren't yeah. things aren't great for them. The uncle's a little crazy. Yeah, and the dad's a little crazy too. Uh, and the daughter's yeah. a little crazy. Remember like, when he eats the kids? You know what? You know, we're gonna do this another time. You know, he eats them whole. It's wild. <laughs> no, no, he eats the kids' dinner. That's what I was gonna say. Is that, uh, all right? Yeah, when he eats there. the kids for dinner in signs, it's wild. <laughs> I'm having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> Yeah, that twist at the end when Mel Gibson turned out to be Hannibal Lecter. It was such a good twist. And Hannibal Lecter ended up being an alien all along? It's 
wild. Is that, wow. the, is that the extended director's <laughs> special edition? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So it's actually sorry, it's actually the sequel signs two. Signs two. Two signs, two signs. signs. Two signs. <laughs> the signing. The signing. Oh, that's a weird crossover <laughs> between the shining and science. So you know what? I think yeah. I think I talked myself into it. Yeah, this is a dad movie. I don't know. I like hey. like I don't know if I'm going to show it to my kids. I think I think like if it's right, like I don't have a strong desire to show my kids horror. Like I don't think that it's it's not a genre I have any love for myself. Like I've enjoyed movies in it. I guess I really love zombie movies, but like other stuff, I I don't. Know. I guess I like no, I do. I do. I don't know. I don't know if I've got a strong desire to show it to my kids, but I do think this is a dad movie. It's something that definitely, I mean, it's about a dad. It's about a good father. And because of that, it's a dad movie. It puts it on a different, a bit of a different level though, than something that is like my movie as a dad, like, yeah. uh, like, I don't know, um, like tombstone, for example, like that's a dad movie that I love wholeheartedly. And it's a little ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to see it with my kids. I don't really care if they like it um, because I like it. And that's all that matters, kind of. But I also want them to see it, to like sort of have it or whatever. With yeah. this, like it's probably got better sort of morals or whatever. But I, I'm not as like, oh, like I love this movie so much and I want you guys to see it. But you're so you're saying objectively it's a dad movie, but it's not one of your personal favorite yeah i guess i guess i'd say like there's what i think there's like three things that can make something a dad movie it's something that uh is important educationally it's something that you personally love as a father um and as a man and whatever and it's something that has like a good portrayal of of fatherhood of manhood of something like that and this only has one of those there's movies that have all three and this, I, I feel like this doesn't have all three. So that's it. That's all my long-winded way of saying it. It makes it, but only by by one of my my personal three uh, three things. Okay, does that make sense? Well, we all agree yeah. to dad. Movie. So it's a dad yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's a quiet dad. Place. It's a quiet dad. <laughs> It's a quiet dad. <laughs> That's awesome. It's very, especially at the end when the dad's dead. <laughs> quiet dad plays forever. <laughs> well, with that, um, do you guys have anything more you want to want to talk about with Quiet Place? Uh, not much other than to say I can't wait for a Quiet Place Part Two. Oh yeah! Whenever we record and do that one. Whenever we do that one. Well, with that in that case, from all of us here, at not your father's movies. I'm Mike. I'm Jesse. I'm Letney. I'm Dom. Good night. <laughs>